I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to help you build a system to be different in 2023. And I'll start by clarifying different. I don't mean I want you to be different from how you are. You're great. You're doing great. What we're going to do today is help you build a system so that you're significantly different from everyone else. Value is scarcity, and we want that to be you. I gave a talk at Columbia Business School the other day. I'm going to try and get the video so I can post it somewhere. My first line of the presentation was the second most honest line I had, and it won me zero friends. I started by introducing myself and then saying that the absolute last thing the world needs is more MBAs from Columbia Business School. I got some nervous laughter and one person slammed their laptop shut, either in interest or protest. Either way, it added to the drama. What you learn at CBS can be learned by anyone, I continued. It's all online. Then I won them back with the most honest line of my talk. I said that what the world needed was them. We needed them to lean into what was special about them, what they were interested in, their backgrounds, their networks, their skills. Then to amplify those things with what they learned at business school, to take unique paths and solve wicked problems and use what they'd learned to do it. And that would require them to be different because the normal trajectory people follow tends to do the opposite. I visualize life as a river. When you start, you're a kid and the water is roaring and there are all sorts of places you can go and tons of other people around the river with you, bouncing around every which way. My kid, who still hasn't been born and I appreciate the handful of kind emails I've gotten wishing us luck, could be anything. A fireman, a data engineer, a painter. He could make toasters. He could sell protein powder. He could be a psychic detective. His river has a million different tributaries. But as you move on in life, you turn onto one tributary and then the next. The river narrows, the water slows down. You work harder and harder to make progress. And when you look around, everyone with you on this river is going the same direction. They're taking the same route. You go with them, left, right, left, right, working harder and harder, trying to nose ahead. Sometimes it seems like you're not getting anywhere, but there's safety in numbers, so you stay on path. Think about my business school people. They were at Columbia, so they were the best and brightest. But still, 90% of them will go on to be consultants, brand marketers, or bankers. And once they make that decision, they wind their way further and further down the river, taking tributaries that leave them in their 30s and 40s as someone who specializes in a specific topic, a specific type of private equity transaction maybe. And that's what they do for the next 30 years until they retire. They never change because they spent all that time getting there and backtracking would feel like they're wasting what they'd already done. And that is great for lots of people if that's what you want to do. But my point is that most of these decisions aren't purposeful. People get dragged by the current, lost in the crowd. If everyone's going one way, it feels safer, so that's where we go. And when we pick up our heads 10 years later, the core human emotion isn't greed like lots of people think it is. It's envy. The impetus for most of our decisions is looking to our left and to our right. We chase what other people want without considering if we actually want it. Mimetic desire hijacks our decisions and we don't question them. When I was in business school back in 2009, one of my favorite teachers had us do an exercise. He said to use the school as an excuse and email the CEOs of all the companies we'd love to work at. 
the companies we'd like to someday run. Ask if you can speak with them for 15 minutes, he said. Flatter the hell out of them. You'll be surprised at who you can get on the phone. I emailed Nike and Lululemon and a few VC and PE funds and a few startups and ended up speaking with either the CEO or people way high up literally every place I reached out to. I was surprised at who picked up the phone. My first question was always the same. Tell me about how you got here. And the first line from them was always the same too. They started, well, I took a non-traditional path and it was pretty windy. You definitely don't want to model your life after mine. This only makes sense in the rearview mirror. When I was interviewing VCs, they made it more explicit. I'd ask how long it took to make partner if you accepted an associate job out of business school, and they all had the same answer. Oh, no, that's not how it works. We don't promote partners internally. We grab people with unique operating experience from outside the fund and bring them in. When I asked how they had gotten there, they started up. Well, I took a very non-traditional path, so you don't want to follow me. It's one of the things we all know on some level, but don't act on because even though it's right in front of our face, we don't believe it. The story of the path is too strong. You don't get interesting places by taking the familiar path. You don't get unique outputs by using predictable inputs. But we kind of just hope that both of those things will make an exception for us. They won't. We have to take a unique path and we have to build a system to ensure that we do if we want to end up anywhere worth ending up at. But practically, what's this mean? I can hear you through the pod. I'm not a damn hippie, Brian. I need an apartment and I've got a kid or I have a mortgage or I like to eat out a couple of times a week. Or I pay for HBO just for White Lotus and then I don't cancel it just in case someone comes over and wants to watch Curb or something and I don't want to be the person that doesn't have HBO. And maybe I'm projecting right now, but the point is you've got a lot of overhead. So as someone who came up to me after my talk at Columbia the other night said, How can I be different without being unrealistic? It kind of sounds like something someone on the normal path would say, I told him, but the point was well taken. How can we practically be different? How can we do things that'll get us to interesting places in life while realizing we have responsibilities and bills and family and obligations? How can we build momentum towards that without biting it all off at once? Today, we're going to talk about it. After, a little smooth jazz. Hey, We've got a few slots opening up for Tacklebox where we help people turn ideas into startups as a few of our founders have now outgrown the core program as their businesses have scaled a bit. So if you've got an idea you've been sitting on and you want to turn it into a startup, let's do it. And to sweeten it a bit more and maybe kick you in the butt a bit, if you apply in the next two weeks and get accepted, you'll get 50% off your first month. Just head to gettacklebox.com and apply with what you're working on and put code HOLIDAY in the application when it asks for a referral code. Back to it. Different is heavy. Let's start with a question. Why is different so hard? If it's clear that unique paths lead to great places, why is it so hard to do that? Let's go back to our business school friends. If they went home and told their parents or their friends that after business school, they weren't going to jump into banking or consulting or marketing. Instead, they were going to work entry-level jobs at four different industries over the next 18 months. They were going to learn about those industries and see if their MBA skills and network would help asymmetrically impact those industries. They're going to purposefully search out the places MBAs hadn't tried to use their frameworks to see if they could create some value. What would happen? Their parents would freak out. Their friends would go nuts. They'd say things like, you only leave business school once and you've got loans and what are you thinking? And maybe they get so worked up, they just shout, Deloitte. When they calm down, they might ask, 
Is anyone else doing this? Has anyone else done this in the past? How did it work out for them? Envy, not greed. The hard thing about being different is that it looks amazing in the rearview mirror and it looks insane in the moment. Because if in two years you were pitching me for angel money and you said, hey, I've got an idea that's going to revolutionize coffee shops. I went to Columbia and then I went and worked at Starbucks for five months as a barista and then at a bar with 10 locations where I did operations. And then I worked at a local coffee shop with a crazy loyal following. And then I worked with someone who had a couple of Chick-fil-A franchises and I ended up with a totally differentiated coffee delivery concept. If you pitch me that, I would probably lose my mind trying to give you my money. Your context is completely unique. What's valuable in life is perspective. That's it. And that's becoming more clear as AI scoops up the low-hanging knowledge fruit. The unique combinations is where you'll differentiate yourself. So in the moment, hell no, do not go work at Starbucks. What are you thinking? Be safe. Go to Deloitte in the rearview mirror. Holy shit. You are hired. You are funded. You are coming on my podcast. Different is interesting. But that moment of being different is so, so heavy. Everyone is going to ask you those questions. Everyone is going to wonder what you're doing. They'll poke and prod for your master plan, trying to pull it back to the paths that they understand. But the interesting stuff is the stuff you can't predict or else it would have been predicted and done already. It wouldn't be interesting. Our brains are dot connecting machines, but they're terrible predictors. Until we have the dots, we can't predict what they're going to create. So again, the problem, you can't take a new route without a master plan and you can't have a master plan before you've got dots. You can stay on the path and end up where everyone else ends up, which is safe and known and mediocre. Or you can leap. You can try something different and end up somewhere. The second one seems bad because we're squirrels. Lions and squirrels. I'm listening to the book Sapiens. I know I'm late. And it's been blowing my mind. The part I'm currently stuck on is the part where he says humans are the only apex predator that isn't majestic. He argues that we went from basically scavengers to apex predators so fast evolution didn't have a chance to make us majestic. Lions, for example, are majestic. When I first heard this, I think I audibly screamed bullshit, which made Ruby run over and comfort me. I only really scream and curse during UNC basketball games, and she always thinks I'm screaming at her and has learned the words, so whenever I curse, a cute Bernadoodle runs over and licks me, screaming with her eyes, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's gotten me to stop cursing, except when I need a little morale boost. Then I mutter, shit, and Rubes comes flying. She is the best. But anyway, I thought Majestic was so subjective, but then he went on. Lions had taken hundreds of thousands of years to ascend to apex predators, which means they aren't frantic. They know they're top of the food chain. They don't need to act like, say, squirrels, constantly searching for food and storing it away and acting like a five-year-old looking for Easter eggs on Adderall. Humans are way more squirrel than lion. We assume everything is going to end up poorly because for the most part, it does for someone who's been in the middle of the food chain for most of their existence. So humans are pessimists. In The Rational Optimist, Matt Ridley writes, quote, If you say the world has been getting better, you may get away with being called naive and insensitive. If you say the world is going to go on and continue to get better, you are considered embarrassingly mad. If, on the other hand, you say catastrophe is imminent, you may expect a MacArthur Genius Award or even the Nobel Peace Prize. Pessimism makes people sound smart. Optimism makes people sound like idiots. So 
if you tell people you're going to do a bunch of different stuff, stuff you people do, and it's going to work out great, then you're an optimist, which means you're dumb or you're naive. They'll call you those things and they'll try and persuade you not to do it. And they'll think that they're helping. That reaction alone is enough for most people to never do anything interesting in their lives. So we need to build a system to make sure we drone out the noise and the idea that being pessimistic is being smart and being optimistic is being naive. Because without a system, the interesting stuff will continue to get bogged down because we're all pessimistic squirrels, not majestic lions or something like that. The personal Venn diagram method. Here is a method to start you on the path to being different. We have all of our founders do this and we call it the personal Venn diagram. The exercise is simple. Get a big piece of paper and draw circles on it. Those circles represent your skill sets, your networks, and your domain expertise. The size of the circles are in relation to how unique that circle is. So I worked in finance for a few years, but that circle is tiny because tons of people know what I know about finance. My circle for the first six months of building a startup, though, is pretty huge. I've done it with people hundreds and hundreds of times. So get out that paper and draw your circles. Your opportunities are going to be the intersections of those circles, where you layer disparate skills or networks or domain expertise on top of each other into a combo that no one else has. Circles amplify each other when they're combined. If you worked as a strategy consultant, then helped an early stage company with sales, then did freelance business coaching, you're going to have a pretty unique perspective on each because of the others. When people start to ask about how they should come up with ideas, the Venn diagram is where you start. But when you're trying to be different to get to a place where you'd have a unique insight in the first place, you need to look at this Venn diagram a little bit differently. You need to think about what you wish would be on there. What skills, what networks, what domains are you interested in? What do you wish you were interested in? Write out a bunch of stuff that's unexpected, circles you'd like to have at some point. If you've been in finance and you went to business school and your network is finance related, what are you interested in that's totally out of left field? Maybe you want to get into farming logistics or space or audio equipment. Great. Write it all down. These are future circles. And be optimistic that you can do or learn any of them. The best startups and most successful people are the ones with the most circles and the biggest circles. Lots and lots of context is the goal. Catalog and reflect. There was a great question during the session about which of the circles, skills, domain expertise, or network are easiest to get. I tend to think that skills like coding or design are the hardest. The way to increase your skills circle is probably best done by increasing your network circle with people who already have that skill. Skills also don't tend to be super unique, although the exception is sales. I think people can ramp up sales relatively quickly, and it is an absolutely killer circle, even if it's small, to layer on top of other knowledge bases or networks. The other two, domain expertise and networks, can and should be built. A quick note on each before we get to the system. For your network, the way to think about it growing is through third-degree connections. Your network now is likely school-based and industry-based, so you know the people you went to college with, and maybe you know a bunch of people in finance if that's where you've worked for a while. Those people's networks will also likely be in finance, so the network, even with its third-degree connections, isn't that big. Your goal with your network growth is diversity. Meet a few people in other industries. Meet a few people with other skill sets. Meet a few people with different life stories. Go for close relationships with a few diverse people. 
you'll end up with enormous coverage through third degree connections. Here's how it looks. Maybe you used to have that finance network, but now you know a few people in the restaurant industry, a few designers, a few developers, a few investors, and a few freelance biz dev folks. When you need something, an ask permeates those people's networks, which will blanket all of those domains. You're an intro away from literally anything you need. As for domain knowledge, the key is immersion. If you want to get into the restaurant industry, work at a restaurant. If it's part-time, that's fine. If it's got to start with you interviewing a bunch of people in the industry, that's fine. Start there. See where people spend their time and their money. That, by default, is what they prioritize. Understand the system and the cadence so you can then compare it to the other systems and other cadences and see how the intersections work, see how the dots connect. The biggest point for all of this is that it is not natural at all. This isn't how people act. This isn't what they prioritize. They do things that build directly on top of the things they've just done because that is the way the river flows. That seems like the least risky path. So to be different, you need a system that bucks that path. That system needs two drivers, cataloging and reflection. For cataloging, you need to know exactly how you spend your time now, and you need to set aside time to reflect on what you do, what you've learned, and where you're headed. I've watched hundreds of talented people try to build businesses, and it's become clear who always lands on their feet. People who are curious and people who have diverse interests. The system is built to ensure that you're both. Cataloging should start manually. I mentioned to the Columbia students that I recommend you pretend you're Jane Goodall and you're watching your own behavior like she watched the chimps. Everything you do for a week or two, jot it down manually. When you check Twitter, write down, I just checked Twitter for five seconds. Then write down why you did that. When you check email, write that down too. Meetings, downtime, everything. Eventually, you'll just want to live by a calendar, but the point is to understand how you're spending your time. Your inputs will drive your output, so we need to know what they are. Next, you'll reflect on them. Start by setting aside a half hour or an hour a week. Sundays work well. Reflect on what you did and ask how it's improving your Venn diagram. Ask how it's unpredictable. Then plot a few blocks of time for the following week that'll help build that Venn diagram. Maybe start high level with something you want to learn, then set aside the hours to do it. When planning tasks, I ask myself the three core 15% questions. What would I do if I were 15% more assertive? What if I cared 15% less about what other people think of me? What if I were 15% less judgmental on my own work? List those out, then reshuffle and fit them in. Remove the stuff that doesn't help you. The hope is for the things you do to be abnormal. We want to push you further and further from that predicted path. Since reflecting and cataloging and being different in general is so unnatural, you're going to need some accountability. It can start as a friend, someone who's doing this with you. Share your time catalog. Share your Venn diagram and list of circles you want to go after and your plans. Ask them the questions you ask yourself. What would someone 15% more assertive do? A coach here can work extremely well too. I promise you, it'll be money well spent. The goal is to make sure the person will keep you honest, call you out on your bullshit. Here comes Ruby. And make you feel embarrassed if you say three weeks in a row that you haven't done anything to build those circles. The person's stated accepted goal should be to help you become unpredictable. Not in a dangerous Joker from Batman sort of way. In the way that when someone asks what you're doing for the weekend, you say something like, I'm heading upstate to shadow a farmer as he sets up the CSAs for the next week. 
If you want to build a network, email 50 people each week and try to get on calls. Find events you can attend. Plan your own events. If you want to build unique knowledge, get a part-time job, get a full-time job, dive in, immerse yourself in short bursts, learn what you need to, move on. What looks risky in the short term is almost by definition not risky if you're being curious and diversifying your inputs. The normal path is always the risky one. And if you're worried about what people think of you, always remember David Foster Wallace. You'd worry less about what people think of you if you realized how seldom they do. When I was planning and drafting the talk to the Columbia students, I realized pretty quickly that what I was actually doing was writing what I'd wished someone had told me and helped me execute on when I was 25 and left business school. So much time and effort is spent trying to stay on the path that everyone else is on without understanding or letting yourself understand that the place it leads is not the place you want to be anyway. I hope this plan helps you build some circles. I hope you combine those disparate skill sets and networks and domain expertises into something truly unique, something no one else can replicate with enormous value. I hope it helps you realize that trying new stuff whenever you decide to try it is the best long-term decision you can make. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it's been in my dreams. Sorry, those last two were from Shawshank. I just kind of got into the mode of saying the I hope thing. Different is painful and hard and heavy in the moment but it is a game changer in the rearview mirror. It is worth your time. And if you want a little more context and support around this, we're launching a program in 2023 for people looking to differentiate themselves. Sign up at gettacklebox.com slash rhythm, R-H-Y-T-H-M, if that sounds interesting to you. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea, let's take the first steps on it. Apply at gettacklebox.com and use the code HOLIDAY in the app to get 50% off your first month. Have a great week.